of the work that Herman talked about and look at the variety freeze evaluation that was done at uh, Cheneyville. Uh, Barry and Herman did a good job talking about uh, freezes and the uh, climatology of freezes here in South Louisiana. This is a slide I had in my uh, slideshow. It's just a uh, snapshot of, of the same type of data. Uh, you know, and the, and the story here is we do get freezes in November and we've had to deal with them periodically. So the other thing I, I talk a lot about in the uh, presentations is that, you know, our industry acreage is increasing. Uh, obviously that acreage is increasing both north and uh, westward. And, you know, you can say that, but if you see the geographic center, um, that's in St. Martin Parish, but you can kind of weight the data. And even within a short time frame, you can look at 2016, 2017, on up to 2019, you can see the center of the industry moving both north and south. Well, what does that mean in terms of risk? Well, it, that puts us at risk for more damage from, from freezes. So we didn't just think about uh, freeze tolerance testing in the northern part of the state two days before the freeze. Um, Justin Dufour, the uh, county agent in Avalos Parish, had a meeting during the summer. We met with some growers at the Dean Lee Research Station, and we wanted to come alongside the existing cold tolerance work that was being done at HOMA. Uh, we wanted to in increase our chances of getting more data on the varieties because it's easy to overwhelm a cold tolerance test and it's easy to underwhelm a cold tolerance test. So if we figured we had a cold tolerance test up in the north part of the state and one in the south part of the state, that would increase our chances on getting varieties. And this is the uh, picture of uh, the trial at the Dean Lee Research Station. This is just a picture of uh, the outfield test um, at, uh, at Harper's right across um, there. So this is just uh, what, what Herman talked about. Again, the data from the, uh, the test that was put in the middle of the field. And you can see by, uh, um, you know, we went below 32, you know, right around 7 o'clock in the evening, stayed at, 40, at 22 degrees for 45 minutes. And by 8.43 the next morning, uh, we were back above uh, 43. Uh, Sent the, the watchdog to Mike Dewey at the uh, USDA station. He's got a lot of experience with these tests. He looked at the data. He said this ought, to, this ought to be a good test to make differential responses among the sugarcane variety. So that's what we did. So you load up the truck and, you know, head north. And, uh, you know, it was a team effort. Um, we went out there the day after the freeze. And the way it works is you go out there and you cut... Uh, we cut eight stalk bundles for this one. You don't top it where you normally top in the hard joint, but we top it through the leaf whirl and we don't strip it. We want to try to maximize the differences among the varieties. We put them on the trailer, covered them up so we wouldn't blow all the leaves and trash up, put them in the lab. And our lab is set up just like any core lab at the mill. You run them through the shredder and you catch it. 
And uh, there's Wilson on the press, you know, so we, we press a thousand grams like you would normally do. We send the uh, press juice into the lab and we get bricks and pole reading from that. From the bricks and pole reading, you can get uh, juice, uh, percent juice uh, pole, and you can come up with a purity reading based on the uh, amount of uh, uh, pole compared to the uh, bricks reading and then just a typical TRS value that you would see. Uh, had a pH meter to measure uh, pH of the juice. Uh, had a setup uh, for, to measure titratable acidity where you just take 0.1 normal sodium hydroxide and you want to raise 50 mils of sugarcane juice to a pH of 8.3 and then you convert that on the amount of mils to take up 10 mils of sugarcane juice. Jenny took another subsample and ran polysaccharides on the test. You may all see that also referred to as gums uh, in the literature. And of course, Jeannie did that at Audubon just down the uh, street from the research station. So this is a, a picture of uh, 615 on the right. And this is from the November sampling. So we go there the day after the freeze and then we go weekly. And so we sampled the test five times. So the first sampling date on November the 14th serves as a baseline. And then the weekly sampling, uh, we can measure everything in relation to the baseline. So we did have trouble clarifying uh, 615 toward the end of the test in the last two sampling dates. And that's what it looks like. It does, the solution gets cloudy. The polarimeter is unable to give you a pole reading. And the sample on the right is just normally correctly topped 299, and you can see what a difference makes with clean cane. So we talked about juice purity. This is the uh, five sampling dates. And again, this is an average over all the varieties. And you gotta remember, there's quite a, quite a range of variation within the test uh, for the varieties, but you can see where we started off on purity at about 85.4 went down to 83.5, and then kind of settled in around a purity value of about 80. We seem to, to kind of reach that equilibrium around 80 purity. TRS started off at 217, down to 212. And again, uh, for the last three sampling dates, seem, things seem to settle in around 190 TRS. Uh, juice pH, I mean, normal sugarcane juice pH should be somewhere in the neighborhood of five and a half. So you can see we started off at 5.67, dropped down to the second sampling date at 5.41, and again, by the fourth, the third, fourth, and fifth sampling date, we settled in around 4.8 uh, for juice pH. Titratable acidity, again, that's the number of mils to raise the pH of 10 milliliters of sugarcane juice to a pH of 8.3. So you can see 1.5, and you would expect this to increase. Uh, so baseline value of 1.55 on the initial planning date on November the 14th. Then you can see by December the 9th, we were at 1.9 and pretty close at the last sampling date of uh, December the 16th. So. As expected, pH would drop, titratable acidity would increase. Polysaccharides, gums. Uh, you can see on the initial sampling date, 
November the 14th, value around 60,000, I mean 6,000 uh, parts per million. By December the 9th, the fourth sampling date, right at just over 8,000. And on the last sampling date, just over 7,700 parts per million. Seemed to settle in around that 8,000. Now, separating out a few varieties, I mean, I could put 13 varieties up here in five sampling dates, and it would look like a bowl of spaghetti, so I'll just use a couple of them to, uh, you know, prove the point here. But that's 615, and this is pH. Again, we would expect pH to drop as the effect of the freeze continues. So the green bar is the initial sampling date on November the 14th. And this happens to be the fourth sampling date on December the 9th. So you can see a pH drop in 615 from 578 to 466. And you can see 838, which is a more freeze tolerant variety, pH going from 5.59 to 4.92. Same thing for juice purity. That's 615, juice purity of 86.7 going down to 70.5. And in the more cold tolerant variety, 838, you see it going from 85.4 to 84.8. The way we express this data is a percent reduction based on the initial sampling date. So that's an 18.7% reduction for 12-615 and a 0.6% reduction for 838. And what we do is we take each, we took the fourth sampling date and the fifth sampling fifth sampling date, and we ordered the varieties for all five of these traits. TRS, purity, pH, titratable acidity, and polysaccharides. And came up with a rating scale. So again, we, we order them one to 13, and 13 being the worst. So if you've accumulated a bunch of 13s and you have a high number, you're gonna get a poor cold tolerant rating. Then you just look for natural breaks in the data. Uh, the grower wanted us to sample again on December the 16th, so we just, I decided to treat this more like two sampling dates because it seemed like we reached uh, some level of equilibrium as far as cold tolerance and uh, deterioration go. And uh, the varieties behave somewhat the same, but not all the same. You can see 540 and 838 were both good in each of the sampling dates. 739 was good initially, but then really middle of the pack on December the 16th. You can see 201 and 615 were both poor at each of the sampling dates. So you make Excel do a little bit of magic, and this is what we came up with. This is the bottom line. This is what we really wanted to get out of, uh, out of the test. Uh, to no surprise, 540 and 838, you could put 283 in there as well even though it wasn't a part of the test, have really good cold, stock cold tolerance. Um, 299 is moderate. 299 fluctuates quite a bit. 299 is a variety that tends to be erect. If it's erect in the cold tolerance test, it does really well. 299 in this cold tolerance test, everything was lodged. There was, there was nothing that was very straight. So it tends to be middle of the pack to poor. What's disappointing is that the two recent variety releases, 201 and 615, were both poor. And a lot of high hopes for 615. It's a pretty variety, small barrel. 
um, high population variety, but it did have Tuke 7742 as the female parent. Tuke 7742 has always been the cold tolerance susceptible check uh, in these trials in the past. So we had an inkling it might be bad. We thought we might get lucky. It doesn't look to be the case. So with that, you know, you're always going, you know, these cold events happen, you're nervous, because, you know, the first part of grinding, you know, you're working for everybody else. It's the last part of the crop where you start paying yourself, right? That's how it works. So, you know, you, you know, everybody's nervous, and I understand that, because that's your living. You, and so, you know, you just dive into the literature, and, you, and you're looking for things to hang your hat on to give you a little bit of hope, because... November the 13th is a long way from the end of grinding. And over the Thanksgiving holidays, uh, I found this paper by Dr. Jim Irvin uh, with the USDA uh, research station in Homa. And he summarized a November, early November freeze in 1966 in Homa. And it was a lot like the freeze that I think that we experienced here in 2019. And uh, it got down to 23 in Homa for about the same amount of time and about the similar amount of time for uh, um, total amount below 32. So it permitted another opportunity, just like Herman says, these are opportunities to learn information, to combine heavy leaf damage, if you look at that first paragraph, with relatively light stalk damage. And that's what was so disconcerting that you had, you had leaf burn all the way down the Homa. I mean, pretty significant leaf burn all the way down. But when you did split the stalk, um, uh, you know, the top three to four internodes were really the worst. I mean, there's always exceptions to that rule. So they hand cut samples. They didn't cut it through the world. They cut it through the top hard joint. They didn't strip it. And they did the same, same test, purity, TRS pH, titratable acidity, and what they refer to as gums or polysaccharides. And they never saw deterioration uh, very rapidly, and they were able to cut cane that would have milled and made raw sugar uh, throughout the duration of that freeze, even though that's a freeze that occurred in the first week of November. I'm certain that they were just like us last year on pins and needles uh, the whole time. So the bottom line with their study was it's not the amount of leaf damage that determines how long this cane will last. It's the amount of stalk damage. And uh, again, in their situation, much like our situation last year, those top two, three, four internodes were gone. But we did have sound internodes below that. Uh, previous work, and I guess our experience from last year, shows that sugar will obviously decrease you know, like I told people, Perfect left the harbor a long time ago after a freeze, but it will allow you to finish up the crop even with decreases. So what's our best way to mitigate, to reduce risk in the industry? Well, what, what do we always rely on? And we've relied on heavily throughout uh, the, the history of this industry. And that's the variety program. The picture on the left is uh, in South Africa. If you go inland from Durban, they have the Midlands uh, that's their uh, uh, production region that is uh, susceptible to frost and light freezes. Uh, when I reviewed their uh, breeding program here a few years ago, uh, I, I went to this site, not at this time with the picture, but I did see their cold tolerance test. 
and uh, pretty interesting germplasm that they have. Their varieties uh, uh, behave quite a bit differently, and I think the breeders are in the process of trying to get this N37. So that's, that's an interesting look at where varieties can take you in terms of cold tolerance. And then I have a picture of the basic breeding program. I mean, the, the, the value that the basic breeding program from home has brought to our industry is, is invaluable. And, you know, I, you know, that work is continuing with Dr. Anna Hale. And uh, if we're going to improve cold tolerance like we have in the past 30 or 40 years, it's going to come from that program. So with that, that's all uh, I have to say as far as uh, the variety evaluation up in Cheneyville. Sugar cane, sweet sugar cane, the sweetness of our southern trees. Sugar cane, sweet sugar cane, fireflies in the jasmine scented breeze. There's a little shade beneath this tree, shields me from relentless heat, and afternoon shower.